It's Friday, February 7th. I'm Caroline Kitchener. Here are impeachment updates from today's episode of Post Reports. So since the president was acquitted, what have we been hearing from him? You know, he is a president entirely unshackled and unleashed. Phil Rucker is the White House bureau chief for The Post. We've all been through a lot together, and uh, we probably deserve that hand for all of us because uh, it's been a very unfair situation. Uh, I invited... He held forth in the East Room of the White House, which is one of the most regal settings of American power in our history, and unleashed what amounted to a festivus of grievances. Had I not fired James Comey, who was a disaster, by the way, uh, it's possible I wouldn't even be standing here right now. We caught him in the act. He attacked Nancy Pelosi and suggested... Nancy Pelosi is a horrible person. She doesn't pray. When she said... I pray for the president. I pray for the president. She doesn't pray. Pelosi, in fact, is a devout Catholic. She may pray, but she prays for the opposite. But I doubt she prays at all. He attacked Mitt Romney. And then you have some that used religion. And suggested he used faith as as a crutch in explaining his decision to convict the president. They never used it before. But, you know, it's a failed presidential candidate, so things can happen when you fail so badly running for president. Romney, in fact, uh, has been a leader, a bishop in his church, and is one of the most faithful men or women in public service in our country. We first went through Russia, Russia, Russia. It was all bullshit. We then went through the Mueller report. He went on, though. He laid out his grievances about the FBI officials, about the witch hunt, saying he had done nothing wrong. The only thing that was wrong was his family for having to go through this ordeal. Uh, We've been going through this now for over three years. He called the Democrats evil. It was evil. It was corrupt. It was dirty cops. It was leakers and liars. For having tried to hold him accountable for his actions in Ukraine. A phony, rotten deal by some very evil and sick people. And it was a remarkable display, and I think an indication of now that the president has escaped accountability for these actions in the impeachment proceedings, he sees himself as in a way above the law, and he's going to do and say whatever he pleases on his march to re-election in November. So now that all of this is done... What happens now for the Trump presidency? I mean, for the rest of his term, how are you expecting it to be different than it might have been? Well, in a way, uh, this is like a turbocharge for President Trump because he survived this gauntlet, this impeachment proceeding, without having to be removed from office. And therefore, he's waking up feeling emboldened and empowered and feels a conviction that everything he does is right. He is at the strongest point politically today that he's been in some time. The Gallup poll has his approval rating at 49 percent, which is sending shivers through the spines of Democrats uh, around the country. There are good feelings in the country about the economy, which continues to hum along. I am thrilled to report to you tonight that our economy is the best it has ever been. He had a pretty powerful economic message in his State of the Union, even though a lot of it was exaggerated and he made claims that are not true. Jobs are booming, incomes are soaring, poverty is plummeting, crime is falling, 
Confidence is surging. It was a selling argument for re-election. And our country is thriving and highly respected again. And so we can expect, I think, the president to continue to to sound these themes and to seek retaliation against all of those he felt uh, have wronged him in this impeachment process. With this acquittal, how is that likely to change the office of the presidency more broadly? It's a good question because the evidence about Trump's activity in Ukraine is there's no dispute about what he did. The evidence is clear. The testimony was clear. Trump himself has admitted on camera that he wanted the Ukrainian government to do an investigation into his political opponent. And in fact, he called on the Chinese government to do the same. So what he did is clear. What happened is the Republicans in the Senate made a political calculation about not removing him from office for it, that what he did doesn't amount to an impeachable offense. And, you know, I I spent some time the last few days interviewing historians, and they said this is a major watershed moment in our nation's history because the way the founders set up our government, set up our constitution, was to punish and remove presidents who do exactly what Donald Trump has been proven to have done with Ukraine. This is a system of checks and balances. And and what's happened is the legislative branch uh, under Republican control in the Senate is no longer holding the president accountable. They're becoming an instrument to propel his power and perpetuate his power. And that's concerning to uh, historians. It's concerning to legal experts. And it certainly would set a precedent, I would imagine, for future presidents who will say, look, I if Trump got away with this, I can get away with it too. And it is just an expansion of that sort of executive power, which is troubling to those who study the framers and the Constitution. Do you think, I mean, with a, with a different president, you know, 10 years, 20 years from now, our future executive branch is likely to think back to this moment and say, I can do this. It's okay. I'm not going to get in trouble. You know, they could. And we may not even have to look to future presidents for that. President Trump has another 10 months, 11 months in office. Uh, He may have another four years beyond that. And there's no telling what he might try to do going forward because he's escaped accountability this time. In the Russia investigation, you know, the Mueller team documented all of these examples, four really proven examples where the president sought to obstruct justice but did not charge him or indict him because he's a sitting president and there are Justice Department guidelines about that. Well, the very next day after Robert Mueller testified in Congress about this, Trump picked up the phone and called the Ukrainian president asking for the favor, the political favor. So he, the conclusion he drew from the Mueller investigation and his lack of any legal punishment in that regard was that he can get away with what he wants to do. He's the president, and if he does it, so be it. And the Republicans in, on, on Capitol Hill are there to support and protect him. Phil, can you talk us through how the president's own lawyers argued that the Senate basically doesn't have the power to, to check the president? One of the most striking moments in the president's defense came when one of his lawyers, Alan Dershowitz, a noted criminal lawyer, you've seen him on TV for years, uh, came to the floor of the Senate and advanced an argument that a lot of legal experts said was dubious. Every public official that I know believes that his election is in the public interest. And mostly you're right. Your election is in the public interest. He said, if the president does something that will help his reelection, it therefore is in the best interests of the country. And if a president does something which he believes will help him get elected in the public interest, he cannot be held or rather be impeached for that action. That cannot be the kind of quid pro quo 
that results in impeachment. And so that's a blanket excuse for the president to do what he did with Ukraine, but obviously anything else that the president deems to be in the interest of his reelection. That is an argument that Dershowitz had to kind of walk back a little bit uh, in, in some comments he made the next day. And he got a lot of heat from legal scholars who said that's just a completely baloney argument with no constitutional grounding. But it is indicative, I think, of how President Trump himself views his power and views his authority as the president and commander in chief. Did we see a lot of senators latching on to that argument? A few did, um, actually, uh, Republican senators, of course, but a few parroted the Dershowitz line as a way of defending the president and saying, basically, he's president. He can do whatever he wants for his reelection because getting him reelected is in the best interest of our country. What about the way that the impeachment trial played out in the Senate, the fact that there were no new documents, that there were no witnesses? Is that likely also to set its own kind of precedent for the way that impeachment is handled in the future? Certainly. We've only had an impeachment trial three times in our history. And so there's not really a, a blueprint or a protocol for how to go about doing this. And And the Senate leaders, along with uh, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, had to kind of change and, and, and adapt the rules as they went along to figure out how this would work. And the Democrats say this was a complete sham trial, that Mitch McConnell designed it from the get-go to move quickly, to get to a very fast acquittal, to turn the page, to save Trump, and to move on with the legislative business, not to delve into the details, not to really scrutinize the evidence. The most surprising thing, I think, watching this all unfold the last few weeks is that John Bolton came forward publicly, or at least in the manuscript of his book, which leaked out through the media, with new information, right? He's a firsthand witness to what the president wanted done in Ukraine. He offered to testify before the Senate, or at least indicated he would if, if asked. Here's somebody who could have come forward to provide a new account that would have provided new evidence to this case, and there was no interest among the Republican majority in the Senate to hear what he had to say. I don't believe the testimony is necessary. The House managers have a burden of proof, a burden of proof to prove their case. They have fallen woefully short. We now have allegations from Mr. Bolton. I think they would have more credibility if the allegations came from someone else. There is no new information, in my opinion, based on what John Bolton has known. But today, in an effort to generate interest in a book, they have selectively released information that, to me, doesn't go beyond what we have seen in the 17 witnesses who've already testified. Only two Republican senators voted to allow witnesses, Mitt Romney and, and Susan Collins of Maine. To what extent is the Senate giving up the power that they have to oversee the president, to provide any kind of check on the president. Can you give us a sense of the power that's been given up with this move? You know, they've they've been giving up power to this president for three years now, in, in part because Republicans throughout the party live in fear of him. He has such an intensity of support within the Republican base and approval rating among Republicans of 80 to 90 percent. And he follows these things very closely and vows to retaliate and shows that he can punish people uh, if they betray him or cross him. Just ask former Senator Jeff Flake or former Senator Bob Corker. So there's that fear factor in the Senate. And, and what they've done to adapt to that is, is not to stand up to him, not to ever say he's wrong. And in turn, they're getting some of their agenda through, right? They're getting tax cuts passed. They're getting a lot of conservative justices uh, installed onto the federal judiciary. 
they feel like Mitch McConnell certainly feels like this is an opportunity to advance the conservative agenda, but they just need to placate Trump and play to Trump and, and keep him calm. But in so doing, they're giving up their power of accountability, and it's certainly not the way that the framers and the founders imagined our, our system of government working in a democracy. Phil Rucker is the White House bureau chief for The Post. His new book, written with Carol Lennig, is called A Very Stable Genius, Donald J. Trump's Testing of America. It's out in stores now. That's it for this segment of Post Reports. Full episodes of our show come out every weekday afternoon. You can subscribe at postreports.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Caroline Kitchener, in for Martine Powers. Thanks for listening. 